Amen. Thank you, Kelly and Jen and Tom and Molly for singing this morning, for playing. Good morning. My name is Mike Gary. I am the pastor here at Communitas Church, and Communitas is a church that exists to love God, to love people, and to build disciples who walk in grace, who grow in their faith, and who connect in groups to explore their gifts and generously use those gifts to serve in and around the Brainerd Lakes area. Uh, So we have worshipped through a number of different ways, and we will continue to worship in a number of different ways throughout our service. One of the ways that we've done this so far is that uh, we've, we've gathered together. We've humbled ourselves before the Lord to say that, yeah, it's, it's more important to, uh, to gather together with the folks this morning than it is to sleep in and have Sunday brunch or to go out and enjoy a dry road uh, to, uh, to go out and bask in the sunshine, uh, but to, to come here to gather with one another, to submit our lives to one another. We've worshipped through singing, uh, praising God for who he is and what he's done, telling the story of, of the way that God works in and through his people. We've worshipped through giving of tithes and offerings. In a little while, we'll worship through the proclamation of God's word. But before we get there, we're going to worship through communion. And so communion is a, is a sacred meal that has been shared by the Christian church uh, since its inception. And it's a meal of remembrance. And it was, it's always been this meal where we look back and, and we remembered. And the last time that Jesus was together with his friends, they shared this meal together to remember that they'd been delivered from slavery. The nation of Israel saved. The nation of Israel had been enslaved in in Egypt for 400 years and and God had delivered them. And as a result, they they celebrated this meal to remember that. And there was a sacred kind of order of this and a a way that they went about this. And, And Jesus shared this with his friends. And now today we, as partakers of that, as, as fellow heirs, as partakers of that promise, we partake of this meal together. And so when we partake of this meal, there isn't anything magical about this food, right? I mean, it's gluten-free crackers and some grape juice. Um, nothing super special, um, but it's very sacred. And what makes it sacred is, is that it's this meal of remembrance where we come together and, and by partaking of this meal, we affirm that we are, in fact, believers. And by partaking of this meal together, we, we show one another that we're in this together. Support, encouragement, accountability, growth. And so the way that we do communion here at Communitas is we're going to take a moment of silence. Um, and so kids, you all always impress me so well. It's really, isn't it kind of tough like this time of year, you've been in school for a while, and, and on Sunday, we, you come in here and you're silent for a few minutes. You do so well, and I'm always so proud of you. So we're going to take some time, and, and we're going to be silent for a little while, and we're going to listen to what the Lord is, is going to say to us. And so we're going to take this time, and we're going to ponder, who is God, and what has he done? Who is Jesus, and how did he live his life, and how should I live my life as a result of that? And then who is the Holy Spirit, and what is the Holy Spirit doing in, to, and through me? And so if you, uh, if you were, we, um, 
we practice what's called open communion. So you don't need to be a member of our church to partake of communion. We just do ask that you be a, a repentant follower of Jesus. And so if that is you, you are welcome to come to the table. And parents, we will leave it up to you to decide as to whether or not it is appropriate for your children to partake. And so we're going to take this time in silence, and there's no rush, there's no timer. And so we're going to take that time to think about who is God, what has he done? Who is Jesus, and how did his life, and how, does, how, how did he live his life? And then as a result, how am I to live my life? And who is the Holy Spirit, and what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? What is the Holy Spirit trying to do in me? What is the Holy Spirit trying to do through me? And as a result, through us. And the hope is that during this time, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, will confirm in us the things that we're doing, which we need to keep doing, that we would better convey God's hope for his people, both in here and out there. So we're going to take this time, and uh, I'll pray. And then as you're ready, come on forward, grab the elements, bring them back to your seat, And I'll read some words from Scripture, and we'll all partake of the meal together. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, the way that you lived your life, demonstrating what it is to edify the Father before the self. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that your resurrecting power is, is within each one of us individually and within us as a church. We thank you that we join throughout your global church, throughout the world and throughout time in this meal, and that we would praise you for who you are and what you've done. I really like hearing us when we sing together. I think that's, that's pretty fun. I think I've, I've talked about how I've spent more time up here as a band member than I necessarily have as a, as a preacher. And so as a musician, it was always fun when we'd hear everybody sing. It's also very cool to be in a room with 90 people who are silent and listening to the Lord. Um, and as I talk about that with, with other folks, both in the church and outside of the church, they're always pretty astounded that we can gather a crowd of this size and this diversity in age and, uh, and we all hang out in, in relative silence. So way to go. I uh, continue to be proud of you all. So as, as Jesus and his friends were eating, there came this time in the meal where they, Jesus breaks the bread. And after blessing it, he, bro- he gives it to them and says, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for this meal, for this covenant, for this forgiveness. We pray that we would accept that forgiveness, extend it to others, and walk in it ourselves. Amen. Okay, at this time there are some cups that are going, or a, uh, some blue bins that are going to be making their way around the room. Feel free to throw your cups in there, and we will recycle them for you. And uh, so this week on Palm Sunday, we're going to be continuing going through our study of the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And uh, Eric Schiller will be reading, Eric will be reading through, uh, through verse 
13, but we'll only be preaching on uh, 1 through 6. So if you want to, uh, if you have a paper Bible, feel free to take that out. Find your way to Ephesians. It's a New Testament book. Most of the pages will be to the left. A few will still be left to the right. If you do not have a paper Bible with you and want to take out a mobile device, feel free to tap, swipe, do whatever you need to do to find it there. Otherwise, the words will be displayed on the screen behind me. So, Eric, whenever you're ready. This is Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it, is not, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of mystery of hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, re he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the, that we're able to read it, hear freely and discuss it without any fear of government consequence. We pray for your church around the world where that is not the case. We pray that you would lift our gaze to see the greater world around us, that we would seek to serve. Amen. Okay, at this time, kids, feel free to head on out this direction. We've got a few people that have a great lesson planned for you back there today. And so, Lord, we thank you for these kids and those who serve and teach in that area. We know that that is not a second-class occupation, um, and that these kids are not the future of your church, but they are your church. So we thank you as a church that we're able to have the opportunity to disciple them and pray that we would grow in our ability to teach well and to exemplify what it is to follow you as Lord. A few years back, I was, um, I was driving up Minnesota 64, which is, I don't know, it's like out of Staples, you head north, head toward Bemidji. I was cruising back up there. A friend of mine had just been, had been fired from the church where he'd been serving uh, as a youth pastor for a number of years. And, and so I was, I, was I was chatting with my, my mentor about this, and it, the, the situation was just kind of ugly and didn't, didn't get handled very well. And, um, and so he was chatting with me, and he said, well, you know, Mike, when do you think that you're going to 
enter into some kind of like church pastoral role. I'd been helping out with um, adjudicated youth with a human service organization in northern Minnesota at the time. And he said, "Well, you know, do you think you're going to continue with that, or are you going to are you going to kind of jump into into church world at some point?" And um, and we both recognized that I was like, "Yeah, you know, I've, I've got this passion for this. I'd, I'd like to do it at some point." But I was like, "I just, you know, I think one, I've got some maturity." issues that I've got to overcome and, and work on a little bit. And, uh, and I just hadn't quite found the right fit yet. And, um, and we kind of talked about that and he said, yeah, that's, that's probably right. It's, it's, it's good wisdom. And, um, but then he, he, he told me, he says, don't let that, that desire stay dormant for long. So, you know, you got to understand who you are, how you've been created, what you've been called to do. And, and don't let that passion stay dormant for long. Jesus tells a story about a, uh, uh, an employer who gives his, his employees various sums of money. To, to one, he gives them five units of currency. Uh, to another, he gives two, and to another, he, he gives one. And he says, I'm going to go away for a while, and while I'm gone, I want you to work to, to grow this kingdom, to grow this endeavor. And so the, he goes away, and he comes back, and and then to, to the one to whom he gave five, he says to him, How this, how, how'd you do? He says, well, you gave me five, and, and I went out and I made five more. And then to the one to whom he gave two, he says, I, you gave me two, and, and I went out and I made two more. And to the one to whom he gave one, he just said, no, I, I just held on to it. And so the story isn't necessarily about economic growth, but rather it's about how do we steward what we've been given? How do we steward grace? Because it isn't that the one who got five got five more because he had five, and it isn't that two got two. It isn't that what they were given that was the point, but the fact that they were given something. They were given something to steward. And so, so two of them multiplied what they'd done twofold. And, and the third one held on to it because he was so concerned with, with that security, he didn't do anything with it. This poor stewardship. And so that story of grace that Jesus told and that Jesus lived spread after his death. And continued to spread around the ancient Near East and then eventually got to this guy named Paul who's writing the letter to Ephesians that Eric read today. And Paul's in prison and uh, because of this grace, because he, he sees himself as a steward of this grace. And so I want to back up for a moment and just talk a little bit about how did Paul get to prison in the first place? So Paul was this guy named Saul. That's what he grew up as. And, uh, and Saul had been a persecutor a persecutor of the church. He took everything that he was and everything that he had at his disposal to persecute the church. He was, he was a rabbinic scholar, so he was really smart. Um, he was also a Roman citizen, so it gave him access and, and kind of some clout throughout the ancient Near East. And then within the nation of Israel, he had this pedigree that he was like, the guy. I mean, everything that he was on paper allowed him to be this dynamic persecutor of the Christian church. And so he took everything that he had and he leveraged that against 
the church. He, he stewarded what he had to persecute the church. And then what happens is, uh, is transformation happens. He's, he's cruising down the highway one day and Jesus stops him dead in his tracks and radically transforms his life. Because here's the thing about grace is that grace will not leave you alone. Grace will continue to knock on the door and continue to chisel away at the hardness of our hearts and continue to try to penetrate to the deepest parts of our soul where our deepest prides and our deepest wounds lay and to heal them. And so Paul is radically transformed and now everything that he had once used to persecute the church, he's now leveraging to promote the church. He's taking all of this, this, this pedigree, this, this background knowledge in, in the rabbinical world, and he's using that to explain to the Gentile people, the non, the people who were not members of the nation of Israel, which kind of just broad survey based on where we live, since most of us are, you know, Scandinavian and Germanic descent. Uh, that's, that's, this is really pertinent and good news to us today, right? Um, and so what he'd used to persecute, he now used to promote, to be this partaker of the promise. And so, and then he gets in, he says, for, for this reason, what we talked about last week, he says, so, so that we're being built together in the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's in prison. Why is, and why is he in prison? So he's hanging out in prison, and he's, and he's not bitter. There's nothing in any of the... He, he wrote a few letters while he was in prison, and there's nothing in there that ever says that he's bitter. Some, some critics, and if you, if you speak to people, they'll think, oh, is he getting puffed up, being like, oh, check me out, I'm, like, I'm super Christian because I'm in prison and I'm, I'm persecuted for Jesus, so you should be like me? Is that what he's saying here? No, he's saying, I'm, I'm not bitter at all. But I think we can learn two things from this. The first is that it's not about our preferences, right? Christ is going to radically transform your life. If you are a partaker of the promise, that is not a guarantee that life will go the way that you want it to go. I don't think that when, when Paul was radically transformed by Christ, that he was thinking, oh, I'm going to probably spend some time in jail, get shipwrecked, and then get martyred for my faith. Probably not the, the sales pitch, right, that he was thinking was going to really hook him in there, but that's the reality. And second, I think that it portrays this, this idea that the message that he's writing is worth hearing. At the time, paper was really difficult to come by, right? Like I threw away two pieces of paper this morning, just sermon notes, went in the recycling, came on my way over here, right? Because paper is something, they give it away for free. But in the ancient Near East, when Paul was writing in 64 A.D., Paper was, it was tricky. There was, it was, it was rare. And then, now, I don't know if you've ever spent any time in jail, but it's kind of tough to get letters out of jail sometimes, right? So you've got to, you've got to do some things to try to, to try to get this. And so it was at great cost to Paul and to others that this letter even makes it out and gets to be spread throughout the world. And so what is this message? What is this mystery? In our, in our, uh, our sermon study time, a couple of us asked this question of, man, what is, what is this mystery? Like, I don't, I don't want to have a mystery. I want to know. And I remember sitting there, we're going, and, and a bunch of us wrote down the question, you know, we're going through the passage, going, okay, what are the questions you have? We're going, what is the mystery? And then, and then it dawns on us, like, oh, it's, it's, it's right there in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles 
our fellow heirs. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Amen indeed. Amen indeed. And so what that means is that we are partakers of the promise, united as one. And to clarify, you can say, some might say, well, wait a minute, I thought, wasn't, wasn't Gentile or, or non-nation of Israel salvation? That was always on the table, right? I mean, Genesis 12 will tell you that, you know, he's going to bless those who bless Abraham and, and there's, there's the possibility for salvation for the Gentiles, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was always on the table, but the mystery that had been revealed now is, is the manner, the how. Because unity can only come after radical transformation in Christ. And so, what is this message that we need to understand? Is that we are partakers of the promise. That we are united not by our preferences, but we're united by Christ. When we gather together here today, it isn't just that, you know, that the time works for us, the music is enjoyable, the speaker's okay, they take care of the kids well, have a funky building. You know, those are, those are nice benefits, but it can't ultimately be about that. It has to be that we are united in, by, and for Christ. And so why is this important? Because as partakers of the promise, we need to understand that we are stewards of grace. We have been blessed to bless others. So when Jesus is talking about to somebody gives five, somebody gives two, to somebody gives one, it's about stewardship and stewardship of grace, stewardship of what we have, and leveraging that for the kingdom of God. And when we understand this, we get to see that as fellow, and, and so this is, so Paul's life, right? We, we see this, like he thought that he was, he was doing the right thing. Was he not? Like he, he took everything that he had. He says, I'm, I'm all in. Like in a lot of ways, we got to look and, and like, he shows some great strength, some great promise. He's doing what he feels is called, what he feels he's called to do. But then, He's radically transformed by Christ. This guy who was so ethnocentric, who was so like centered on who he was, it was, it was only, only the best of the best in the nation of Israel that he was concerned with and that he wanted to, to uphold and to exalt. And so the persecutor becomes the promoter through radical transformation by grace. And as a result, now this one who would have who would not have had any time of day. We, you know, we spoke last week about there's this, this phrase among the nation of Israel that, that a good serpent crushes and only a good Gentile kills. So like the best of the Gentiles were murderers. So that, was, that would have been Paul's, Paul's disposition toward the other. And now what is he doing? Now he finds himself in chains. He's caught this vision of radical grace and he has to get out and he has to tell it to all the world. And so he plants these churches throughout Asia Minor and, and prison, chains, being shipwrecked. Nothing can stop him from being this radical force of grace and stewarding that grace well and proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is 
to the Gentile world, telling them that you were once on the outside. The promises and the blessings of God were things that you only observed from a distance. And now, my brothers and sisters, you are fellow heirs. Come near. So what happens if we, if we don't get this, if we don't understand this message? We'll, we'll continue to exalt personal expression over edification of Christ. We'll continue to, to look for ways and, and lean toward our own preferences as opposed to looking for ways that we can serve those around us. In the church, this, this happens when we exalt style over story, right? We, we become more concerned with, well, what, what's, what's going on that we can see out front the veneer as opposed to actually understanding what's going on in the day-to-day. Because we can have a, a great time where we all, we all gather together and we express ourselves. That's great. I'm, I'm glad we're, we're able to do that. But if that doesn't lead to a change in story, we sang earlier about you know, new life. If it doesn't lead to that, then we're just a clanging gong and a noisy cymbal and filthy rags. So edification of Christ must happen. And so we can't, we, our, our, our own preferences, our own style of how that happens, once in a while, that's going to have to take a back seat. And so as a result, what, what should we do? Well, what, what do we see Paul do? He takes all of his preferences and, and Christ just flips him on his head. And then Paul begins to move toward those who are not like him. And if you, if you ever get a chance and you read through the Pauline letters and you, and you notice who's, who's going there with him, first it's, it's the story of, of Paul and a, and a couple other members of the nation of Israel that go out and they do a little church tour. And then the next time they go out, there's some Greeks and then some Spaniards and then some people that, that think differently. And there's all this headbutting that happens. But in every time, grace continues to pursue. Grace does not leave Paul alone and he continues to bring that grace to others. And he continues to move towards those who would not express it the same way that he would for the sake of Christ. And so in our own lives, are we going to boast in what we have and and, and are we going to exalt our own need for self-expression? Or like Paul, can we boast in Christ? Right, Because Paul had a lot... He had a lot going on, like pretty, pretty solid dude. On paper, his pedigree was, was fantastic, but his heart was far from the Lord. And so we can, we can do all the right things, but if it's done apart from Christ, it will fall flat. And so when Christ becomes our prized possession, the foundation of our identity, we begin to serve and we begin to seek others' preferences. And so this begs the question, are we partaking in the promise? Are we partaking in the promise of Christ for renewed life, for unity, not based on on what we like, but on who we are, fellow heirs, partakers of the promise, stewards of God's grace, recipients of, of the Holy Spirit's resurrecting power, adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. Because when we, 
when we as a church can catch this vision of Paul's and we start to take what we have and we, we don't use it for the veneration of self or the upholding of self or the advancement of self. We don't use what we've been given to make us look good, but we use what we have to make God look good. That's a special place. And this takes wisdom. This is going to take diligence. This is going to take patience. And this is going to take humility. So I'm driving up north on 64. You know, like I like to say this, this often. 24-year-old me would have made a lot of mistakes in ministry had I been just set free to get out and do stuff. That would have been a mess. Fortunately, I had people around me who, who wisely counseled me told me to have patience, but to stay diligent in my learning and have the humility to be able to say, maybe not yet. Because it isn't about you, Mike. It's about Christ. And so how are you partaking of the promise? As you look at your life, how is, how is Christ welling up within you? How is your life coming more congruent? How are you looking more like Christ? Christ would say that if, if you want life, you've got to give life. So to whom has God called you? As you think about your week, who are the people that you know that, that can use encouragement, who have no hope, who do not know the Lord? What are their names? As, you, as I ask that question, are there faces that come to your mind, people, that, situations that you can envision? What are their names? Those are the people to whom you've been called. Because here's the thing is that, is that like, I can't be where you are, just like you all can't be where I am, but we've been called to specific times, to specific people in specific places to be the resident theologians, to be the resident pastors of our, place, of, of our places of work our places of play, our places of learning. So if you're a partaker of the promise and a steward of grace, where do you work? Where do you play? Where do you learn? Around whom do you interact? Those are, your, those are the people to whom God has called you. And so what, what does it look like? And how can you serve those folks so that they would know this grace? and they could partake in this promise. And so when we hear God's voice, we remember, we remind, and we rejoice. So today we need to remember that we have been blessed to bless. What we've been given, we're to leverage for the kingdom of God. We're to use everything that we have, everything that we've been given, everything, every situation that we're in, all the material possessions we have. We need to use those to extend the kingdom of God, to show his grace and his transformation in our life. Not that we would look good, but that God would look good. And then we need to remind those around us that we are one in Christ. There are some things that unify us, right? Like we're all here. We agree that 10 o'clock is a good time to meet. We're, we're okay with a guy that talks without shoes on. We like to listen to the music and and the you know kind of the, the funky vibe of this place doesn't completely derail us. 
Right, so those are some things that, that unite us. There are some commonalities. I'm not so naive as to believe that you know, there's, there's some sociological factors here. But ultimately, the glue that will hold us together through thick and thin is not our preference, but being partakers of the promise. Christ's prevailing work in our lives. And so, as the band comes back up, that is what we rejoice in, that we are partakers of this promise. So remember that you have been blessed to blessed. Remind others that we are one in Christ and rejoice over the fact that we are partakers of the promise, co-heirs for Christ. It is 11.15. Where will you be tomorrow? this time tomorrow, how does the fact that we who are in Christ are partakers of the promises of God, how does that affect your life and how you will live and what you will do and who you will be this time tomorrow? As we go throughout this week and as we gather in our groups to learn more about who Jesus is and and what he's done for us, that we would better convey this gospel truth to the world around us, how does this begin to change who we are? How will we begin to explore who we are and how we've been gifted that we would better edify Christ and his church? May you go out today receiving this promise. No longer on the outside, no longer unable to partake in this promise due to ethnic barriers, but now one in Christ. Have a great week. Serve others. Hang out in the back for some caffeinated beverages and simple carbohydrates. Go in peace.